Hello, and welcome to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. And in this episode, I will uh, dig a little bit deeper into Mark Twain's Joan of Arc, published in the 1890s. Um, uh, we're deep into part two of this book, volume, book, yeah, it's called book two. So, um, so three books in here. And it, that part is called In Court and Camp. And it's exploring mostly the the military campaigns of, of, of Joan of Arc. In fact, we get a, a summary of of her achievements towards the end of the the book um but towards the end of book two before we start into book three um and and there are things like the lifting the siege of orleans uh which of course is where joan of arc gets her nickname from it's uh the what's the battle uh, the Battle of Patay, uh, the Bloodless March, the Coronation of the King, the Reconciliation, um, and, and various things like this. Which, if you know the story of Joan of Arc, maybe you've come across them. Um, and they're they're recounted with various amounts of detail in uh, these these chapters. Um, but Mark Twain's interest is much more in this character of of Joan of Arc. And the uniqueness of her achievements. Now, it's it's pretty clear that that Mark Twain does have this crush on Joan of Arc of sorts, uh, a fascination with this this person, this historical figure. And I, I broached the question last time, asking like, is it that Joan of Arc was so unique in herself that she could not have existed in, or or, or her existence is so unlikely? in any historical context um, that no matter what time period we're in, we'll be amazed at Joan of Arc emerging. Or is, is Mark Twain like us, like us as readers kind of looking back at this past through the gaze of, of, of modernity and a modernity that saw a decline in women's status from the middle ages, right? In the middle ages, women had all sorts of status, whether it was in, um, convents or in royal courts um in um in various religious societies uh even goes back to early christianity with like the desert mothers and things uh in philosophy uh hildegard von bigman um and others um i if you go through like uh peter adamson's podcast on on history of philosophy which i have in the books that accompany those podcasts you really get the feeling that it's in the Middle Ages that there's all these women philosophers hanging around, maybe uh, uh, not always put in the same school and the same dealing with the same debates as the monks, because most a lot of those philosophers in the Middle Ages were monks, right, and, and in the clergy, maybe not quite dealing with the same issues in the same way as the Dominicans or the Franciscans or whatever, but they're still dealing with the profound philosophical issues of their day. So there's there's social space for women and does that extend to like defense does it extend to like defending communities were women mobilized were they in the field in some way was joan of arc as amazing as she is i think ultimately was she of a type of of a, of a class of people that were standing up to defend their communities in the host of invasions especially in the context of the hundred years war where half of France is occupied by the English 
and you have French villages throughout France coming to terms with that occupation. Whether that means like forming self-defense, maintaining some kind of autonomy. Because it's not going to be like a, a real occupation in the sense maybe we think of it today where boots on the ground, right? It's, it's a very small number of soldiers have to maintain control. It's, it's more of a co-opted nobility. That's so it's a spit villages can remain French. And, and, and even if they're in British controlled lands, that's like on paper, essentially. Um, but you're going to be detached also from your own French nobility, not just from the English nobility or like the, this that they haven't yet fully imposed on you. So that gives you a space for for autonomy. And so in that context, are there many possible Joan of, Joan of Arcs out and about? Or is she just such a unique person in history? Now, Mark Twain seems to think the latter. I'm suggesting maybe there is a space for figures like this in that social milieu of, of the late Middle Ages the, and particularly in the Hundred Years' War. Um, so, anyways. But that's not the story that Mark Twain is really telling here, um, in a way. He's telling the story of, of Joan of Arc's successes. Right. And her and, and, and her achieving a status for herself, earning a status for herself in in a, this male world. Right. So there's a chapter, for instance, uh, where the paladin comes in and he's establishing himself as authority through his clothing. Right. And his big talk and all that. And that's supposed to be juxtaposed with Joan of Arc's humility throughout this all with throughout this, that his image really is just based on on the clothing right he's kind of a minor villain in 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 various parts of the story but then right after this we get the the king and joan and their conversations together and her ability to charm the king and the nobility and the duke and uh my i guess my point is could that those events have taken place if not there was a social space for women right if women were especially young girls were being excluded from social spaces from politics she wouldn't have even been invited i don't care how how mad her dreams are or how much of a following she may have been able to group together locally right now ultimately military success is going to make maybe a lot of this moot um but and again the story mark twain wants to tell is one of this unlikely rise the rallying of france the transformation of joan of arc to quote one chapter, my mind went traveling back and presently lighted upon a picture, a picture which was still so near and fresh in my memory that it seems a matter only yesterday. And indeed, its date was no further back than the first days of January. This is what it was. A peasant girl in a far off village, her 17th year not yet completed and herself and her village as unknown as they had been on the other side of the globe, as if they had been on the other side of the globe. She had picked up a friendless wanderer somewhere and brought it home a small great kitten in a forlorn and starving condition and had fed it and comforted and got its confidence and made it believe in her and now it was curling on her lap asleep and she was knitting and coarse stocking and thinking, dreaming about what one may never know. And now the kitten had hardly the time to become a cat and yet already the girl is general of the armies of France with the prince of the blood to give orders to and out of her village obscurity her name has climbed up like the sun and is visible from all corners of the land. It made me dizzy to think of these things. They were so out of common order and seemed so impossible. So there's this rapid change in 
in Joan's status, if not Joan herself, but I, he is kind of presenting her as also protein in a way, coming, rising to the occasion. There's a transformation in her too. Um, but more so there's a transformation around her as France rallies, right? And then we get the story of, of the, the lifting of the siege of Orléans and the, the drama there, uh, the march, and ultimately leading to the, the Battle of Pate. And through this, she kind of gains the respect of the generals around her and all that. So that, that military history is kind of laid out here, but it's, it's mostly told through the eyes of, of Jones, like inner circle, the personal staff, the people around here, Lahir and, and Paladin and those kinds of, of, of folks. The, the men around her are, are in many ways the center of the story, at least the eyes and ears we have. Um, but I, I guess I can't think of too much to say about this this stuff. I mean, I read through it, but it's it's a lot of uh, you know, especially this section up to about halfway through the book, we get basically the Orleans campaign and and not too much else. Um, he kind of he picks and chooses his stories here. It's not a complete history of of of, of Joan of Arc. To be certain, he, he spends about a third of the book just on the trial in martyrdom of, of Joan of Arc, because that's where a lot of his sources come. And he spends a lot of time on the Siege of Orleans and not so much on some of the other the campaigns and things. But I guess I, I'm trying to think what to make of this. Uh, I tried to talk last time uh, more like from Mark Twain's point of view, not so much did could someone like Joan of Arc have existed in in that time and place more commonly. I mean, is she as amazing in the historical context as we from our more patriarchal modern gaze would assume? Um, so we, if we, we do read it like as Mark Twain intended, we are meant to be inspired by Joan of Arc as an example of a young person being given massive challenges and creating new values required for her age, right? So in this account, Joan of Arc is transforming cynicism into optimism, right? The book starts, everyone around her is cynical, pessimistic, fearing the, fearing the future. And she, one of her great achievements is to, is, is to take that and through victory and through her charisma, turn that into optimism, optimism for the future. We also see how she kind of takes symbolic religion and turns it into religious passion both within herself and the people around her so religion this, this is why it's a very catholic book in many ways is we go from a a very symbolic uh token embrace of of christianity which which might be how mark twain sort of sees american religion at the time as being rather um artificial not not of the like the the I guess the, the great awakening kind of religious passion. But actually we, we see that transformed into a real lived experience. Religious passion as something that's like in people's hearts. Uh, it's a revival of the church as well is going on here. And, and her betrayal by, by both the French, both by the French to the British is, is also asking questions about the potentialities of, of a more lived religion, right? There, there is kind of a, a, a pining for a kind of Catholic lived social experience, social institution. 
um, but she's also destroying the existing political and social status quo, right? So she's doing all these things. These revolutions are, are, are multiple. It's not just, if you just focus on the military campaigns, you're missing the big picture here, which is she's totally disrupting society. She's, she's uh, blasting open um, all these different aspects, at least in this account. Um, she's in a sense uh, a historically significant example of a Huck Finn, right? I keep going back to Huck Finn. I can't get Huck Finn out of my mind when I read Mark Twain's books, and I, I maybe find him where he doesn't deserve to be. But I really do believe that, in, in a way, Mark Twain never stopped writing about Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, right? It's there in Prince and the Pauper. It's it's there to a degree in Connecticut Yankee, King Arthur's Court, and it's certainly here in this book. Where, where Joan of Arc is taking seriously, she's not play acting, right? Mar Tom Sawyer, if he was Joan of Arc, would play war in his home village, right? Like just like they played with 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 Jim at the end of, of the Huck Finn book. But Huck Finn, you know, took it seriously, earnestly as a as a struggle for for liberty. And by taking it seriously, she f she's able to make other people around her. That's something Huck Finn is able to do. Huck Finn is able to, to talk Tom Sawyer into taking seriously the struggle. For him, it's always just going to be a game. Um, and by taking on the profound challenges of the day, right, and presenting an alternative that maybe is not taken up, but is, is certainly there. Um... So in the face of someone like that, it's not only should we not like stop, we, we need to sort of get out of the way. And, and we are all the time in the way of this energy that does exist. Um, if we can liberate the creative power of young people, stop educating them in our fashion and in our institutions and in our way, we're going to benefit from it. And I think that's Mark Twain's point. If we don't betray them, if we don't betray our youth, like what happened to, to Joan of Arc, who knows what the future could be. We could actually have actual liberty. And maybe this was true throughout time, right? Right? There's always those turning points in history that are missed. And, you know, but maybe we're missing them all the time just by, like, raising the youth in our image. So by the time they're old enough to act, they're, they're just replications of us. Um, I guess that's all I'm going to say for now. I, I'm sorry for cutting this so short. But the book in this section really is uh, a lot of details about uh, the Siege of Orléans. Um, and, and her ride, like, and her, 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 her growing command over her troops, the king and others um you know how they come to respect her right he has a paragraph here did they consider joan valueless far from it they valued her as a fruitful earth values the sun they fully believed she could produce the crop but that it was in their line of business not hers to take it off they had a deep and uh, superstitious reverence for her as being endowed with a mysterious supernatural something that was able to do a mighty thing which they were powerless to do, do blow the breath of life and valor into the dead corpses of cowed armies and turn them into heroes and quote i mean again the theme of taking the, the 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 dying and the dead and reviving it right it's like 
I mean, we're in such an era of decline, right, uh, of the American empire or of the global system or whatever. And, and you know, there's no Joan of Arc on the horizon, right? Um, <clears throat> so we're, these guys are actually better off than we are. They at least had the space to, to hope for some kind of alternative to come through. That's just the, the perpetual endurance of, of, of the old way of doing things. Um, but anyways, those themes are kind of what make up the core of this this book um and i think in the next episode i'll i'll start to get into the trial and martyrdom and, and all that to see where that takes us in the book but um yeah we'll see how that goes next time so anyways sorry for the short episode i'm just uh not quite sure uh if there's more to say about this part of it um but yeah i'll, I'll see you next time uh with part three of four of uh, my thoughts on the recollections of, of joan of arc See you then.